derived from the Latin word exemplum, or old French term exemplaire, meaning example. Samplers were a way to reference various designs, types of stitches and their textures, becoming a personal authority or aid memoir to record and trial multiple complex stitching techniques, featuring moralising texts, pictorial motives, as well as alphabets, numerals and personal information. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight, we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. The sampler embroiderer featured elements they have may have learned or copied, recreating or adjusting designs to their own personal tastes and abilities, or simply as a means of recording interesting patterns. Now, samplers were not a 15th or 16th century invention by any means, but their popularity certainly soared around the 16th century. The Fitzwilliam Museum in England states that the earliest existing sampler is thought to have been made in ancient Peru, circa 200 to 500 AD, with Coptic pattern samplers found in ancient Egyptian tombs dating from around 400 to 500 AD. However, The Metropolitan Museum of Art New York states they house an early form of needlework sample or sampler also from Peru purporting to date from the 2nd century BC which is far earlier than the Fitzwilliam Museum suggests. Whom do we believe? Well, it really doesn't matter. What's important here is to acknowledge that samplers were being worked much earlier than many seem to think. The Met Museum sampler measures 105 by 72 centimetres and is worked on cotton using cotton and wool pattern darning. This early sampler dates from the 2nd century BC from Nazca, Peru, with motifs and stitches worked randomly, featuring numerous half-finished and finished motifs made up of 74 figures of birds, plants and mythological beings. The Fitzwilliam Museum sampler uh, shows each individual design worked in coloured camelid hair thread. Now a camelid is a mammal of the camel family and I had to look that up and that's a thread I've never heard being used before this research. The Museum of Fine Arts in Boston houses a band sampler fragment on an undyed tabby-woven linen ground, embroidered with blue and red silk and undyed linen from the Mamluk period in Egypt, circa 1300 to 1420, featuring geometric and floral ornamentation. 
The Mamluks were the ethnically diverse slave soldiers and freed slaves assigned to military and administrative duties serving under the ruling Arab dynasties in the Muslim world. The V&A Museum also holds two Mamluk samplers, one dating from the 14th to 16th century and the other from the 15th to 16th century. Both are worked in silk threads on even weave linen using double running stitch. The latter includes pattern darning stitches as well. A 1509 inventory of the possessions of Queen Joan of Spain, 1479 to 1555, lists a collection of 50 samplers described as stitchery and drawn thread work, some in silk and others in gold thread. Unfortunately, not one of these samplers appears to have survived. What a revealing history those embroidered samplers could have told. The earliest European sampler, including a stitched date, is the Lane Bostock 1598 English sampler housed in the V&A Museum. Now we move on to the earliest written reference to needlework samplers, which comes from 1502 in England, listed in expenses from the Privy Purse account books for Queen Elizabeth of York, about money given to one Thomas Fish on July 10 for various goods, including an elm of linen cloth for a sampler for the Queen. And as so often happens with textiles, early samplers rarely survive. But when they do, the hands that oftentimes work those cleverly decorative and patterned stitches were the hands of children. Like so many other aspects of embroidery, samplers evolved and developed and prior to printed pattern books quickly became popular, making their way from the Middle East to France, Italy, Spain, Mexico, Belgium, Scandinavia, Switzerland, Britain, Germany and Holland, even crossing the Atlantic to the Americas with the English settlers, the Pilgrims in the 1620s. Tudor England particularly identified samplers as a form of reference work and although the first pattern book for embroidery was published in Germany in 1520, followed by others in Italy, France and England, most embroiderers from the 16th century would have still relied on their own physical samplers for inspiration and skill building. Embroidery stitches and designs were highly treasured in many cultures, especially significant not only as a reference but as a learning tool in many a young girl's education, some as young as five. Motives were full of symbolism, passed down from generation to generation, with patterns adapted and readapted according to the individual's personal tastes. One can just imagine new patterns and stitches being avidly collected, excitedly exchanged and finally quickly recorded, embroidered onto a piece of precious cloth randomly or in a haphazard way, now referred to as random or spot samplers. 
Band and spot samplers are the oldest form of European samplers. Band samplers, the more decorative, consisted of a length of linen, roughly 6 to 9 inches wide and approximately 20 to 30 inches long, usually the full width of the loom, filled with bands of embroidery across the narrow width. Spot samplers were the more utilitarian, with motives stitched randomly across the surface. These were so prized and the cloth so precious that band samplers from this period were sometimes mentioned in wills, passing both techniques and designs from generation to generation. But more importantly, samplers honed the embroidery skills needed for everyday tasks, such as to mark an initial domestic linens, so that when they were laundered and spread out on a grassy field to dry, along with everyone else's linens of course, they were easy to sort and retrieve. Lost or stolen linens could easily be identified, enabling a return to the rightful owners. John Palsgrave's Anglo-French Dictionary of 1530 defines the word sampler as an exemplar for a woman to work by. And according to a post in 1998 by Mary Beth Clatt, special to the Chicago Tribune, entitled Samplers Trace the History of Women and Their Families, samplers became useful teaching exercises in schools. For example, some sampler designs incorporated numbers, multiplication tables and the alphabet. Later, embroidered maps were added to curriculums, offering girls and young women a wider knowledge of the world. Needlework and literacy became elements in school curriculums by the late 17th and early 18th centuries, with stitched samplers becoming representations of early female education. And this is a fascinating yet critical era, as these embroidered samplers were a means through which a number of girls and young women learnt to read and write a vehicle for teaching that many may have otherwise not encountered. So for them, it was a way out of illiteracy. But the function of the sampler for young girls varied greatly according to their socio-economic backgrounds. Affluent girls might display their finished samplers in the family home, thus proving their skill in needlework, domesticity and upbringing. For a girl leaving a charity school, however, the story was somewhat different. Her skill and ability in being able to embroider a sampler proved her potential worth to future employers. In other words, being able to sew and mend personal and household linen, perhaps even showing she had the ability to read and write. Initially, skill in uh, letters and numbers was not a requirement in sampler design, although this gradually changed by the 1660s, when most band samplers included the alphabet, numbers, a, a name and a date. Spot samplers, on the other hand, were almost never dated. 16th century colours included black, 
dark ruby, mid-browns, blues and greens. Threads included silk, metallic silver and gold, with embellishments of seed pearls and beads stitched onto a ground fabric of linen. Sometimes up to 20 different shades of thread were used, with some sam uh, samplers either partially or entirely worked in whitework. And according to a website entitled 16th Century Samplers by Carol Hansen and Carol D. Trekessen, a variety of stitches were used in 16th century band samplers, including the simple back stitch and cross stitch, moving on to the more complicated stitches, such as Algerian eyelets, bullion, buttonhole, chain, coral, couching, flame, long-armed cross, French knots, interlacing, ladder, satin, tent and two-sided Italian cross-stitch, to name just a few. Lily Homer, in a 2018 post, A Brief History of Band Samplers, alludes to trade, especially Mediterranean trade with Islamic Spain, bringing many embroidery uh, traditions to late 1500s patterns, featuring those developed in Islamic Egypt, Egypt 300 years earlier. Lily states that by the late 1500s, patterns included small flowers and animals, highly influenced by German and Italian decorative designs and patterns. Many were also imported from Eastern carpet designs, featuring Arabic-style geometric patterning. This cross-fertilisation of design styles and techniques is a recurring theme in both medieval and Elizabethan embroidery. And there were two main types of traditional band samplers known to have been embroidered in the 1600s, polychrome and whitework, with double running, long arm cross, uh, marking cross and Montenegrin stitch, a stitch used to decorate ethnic costumes in the Montenegrin area of Yugoslavia, hence its name, worked in a grid-like section allowing for pleasing patterns on the back of the sampler. Embroidered samplers' rich history also resonate with social history as well as the changing significance of embroidery, especially in the lives of women and schoolchildren. While the function of samplers may have changed slightly over time, their function of recording stitches and patterns remained constant. They communicated the individual lives and events the embroiderers wanted to commemorate, the family networks and histories they wanted to relate. But best of all, they tell us of the people history may well have forgotten otherwise, becoming poignant and evocative reminders of the individual setting those stitches into cloth for, for us to be able to admire still today. In the main, these were normal, everyday people being remembered through the embroidery stitches they stitched onto a piece of fabric hundreds of years earlier. Samplers have become highly collectible, not only for the private collector, but also to add depth to museum supplies. Many were made by young girls or children, giving us a glimpse into their lives, 
their schooling, their homes and even their families. And that's irresistibly appealing to anyone interested in history and embroidery. We can imagine and even relate to their emotions as they work these stitches. The joys, the frustrations, even their sorrows. Who could but be moved seeing those feelings and sentiments hundreds of years later? With time, the sampler form has changed from their initial purpose of simply recording stitches and patterns, becoming far more decorative and in some cases highly decorative embroidered items designed to be seen, to be admired and to be appreciated as embroidered works of art, not simply as a means of record keeping. Embroidered map samplers became popular in England and America from the mid-1700s, continuing into the early 1800s. So while young girls and women not only learned the skills of reading and writing along with a variety of needlework stitches as part of a proper education, schools at this time began offering further education in geography. Some were worked in a variety of colours and stitches, while others simply worked in black, emulating the black ink used to create maps. And as many of these were meant to be displayed, highly decorative features and borders were also incorporated. So from tradition, inheritance and even education, samplers covered many important aspects of embroidery and learning for some time. And as with most forms of embroidery, tastes ebb and flow and by the 1840s the practice of creating samplers began to decline. However, walk into any embroidery shop today and there's sure to be some form of sampler kit or pattern available for purchase, proving not only their longevity but their continued popularity and timeless appeal to needleworkers worldwide. What better way to record a treasured memory or happy event or simply simply to relax from the hustle and bustle of daily life than by using a simple needle and thread on a piece of beautiful fabric? Thank you so much for your time. Stitch Safari has now reached 3,500 downloads and that's all thanks to you, the listener. Please leave a message and subscribe to Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to learn and discover. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next episode of Stitch Safari. Bye for now. Bye.